welcome, welcome, welcome to Wake Up to the Word. It is New Testament Friday. Good stuff. We're glad you're here. We are going to get into the Word. We're going to get a call from the studio audience that does not exist. And my mental block from yesterday has been recovered. We have our coffee of the week is Black Rifle. Black Rifle. I don't know why I couldn't get it, but this is loyalty roast. Look, there's a there's a black lab on the on the box. So that is loyalty roast, and it is very good. Love it. It's good stuff. It is a light roast though, so if you like that robust flavor, it is a rainy Friday here on May twenty sixth for New Testament. Friday, and if you missed yesterday's episode, we have gone over a thousand, thousand plays for the podcast, over a thousand, we're into uh, uh, our second thousand, went to double digits already there, so, uh, in our second thousand, and we are being heard in five countries now, not four countries, but five countries, the United States is the bulk of our listeners, Mexico, Canada, United Kingdom, and Romania, so we are excited, we're the news is getting out. The word's getting out. Thank you so much. Keep telling your friends about it. Uh, this is how we spread the word of God. It's it's a tool. It's it's an opportunity, and we just love doing it. So we are in uh, New Testament Friday, and uh, our reading for May twenty sixth, New Testament Friday, is Matthew eighteen. And Luke chapter 10, there's only a little bit of overlap from some of our other reading, not much at all, so we need to skedaddle and get ready to rumble into the Word of God. Let's jump right in. Uh, who's the greatest? We, uh, we covered that last, uh, last New Testament uh, Friday. Uh, they were having their debate. But then the temptation to sin, that is also a rerun. But there was a little nuance in this version in Matthew 18 as compared to um, Mark chapter 9 last week. But it says, woe to the world for temptation to sin. Here's the uh, little nuance I picked up. For it is necessary that temptations come. It is necessary. You understand that in the kingdom of God, there's there's things that are necessary that happen. Temptation is necessary. It strengthens your faith. It builds your reliability on God. And so God doesn't want you to fail in that temptation. He wants you to call on the spirit and overcome that temptation. It does say, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So when you're just because temptation is necessary in God's plan doesn't mean Tempting someone to sin is a good thing. It's not. Um, uh, God understands the bigger picture, and uh, we don't see that. So those uh, those of you who um, uh, are are uh, doing things that are causing people to stumble, causing them to sin. Yeah, not good. Not good at all. So you need to turn from that and turn people towards uh, life-giving, the life-giving message. Parable of the Lost Sheep. There's some cool stuff in here. We all know the Parable of the Lost Sheep, the 99, and uh, the shepherd goes after the one, 
And uh, this, by and large, is talking about those people who are believers who go astray and uh, that the, the, the shepherd wants to bring them back into the flock. And so um, th that's our desire there. But listen to this. Um, at the beginning of it, it says that you do not despise one of these little ones, talking about children, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels, the angels of them in Greek, Always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, what do you think of a man? Uh, then it goes on to do the sheep thing. So, but that beginning part is where uh, many of us get that uh, we all have angels assigned to us as children, and uh, do they continue on as we get older? Uh, guardian angels. I know in my life, in my adult life, I know there were some times when I was in a sticky wicket, and uh, I got out of it. And uh, there's really not a whole lot of explanation as to how that happened or why that happened. Just that uh, God had bigger plans for me and uh, saved me from myself in many cases. So, um, yeah, thank you, angel, uh, angelos, uh, messenger. Um, uh, you had a tough assignment. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> So uh, as we keep moving on, if your brother sins against you, just was talking about this passage in Matthew 18 with somebody uh, uh, Wednesday. Uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, cough button. So we, um, too often, we get our, our emotions get the better of us. And we brood or we, uh, we, we uh, get into ourselves and we build an animosity against somebody else. And because sometimes it's it, sometimes it very well may be warranted the uh, being angry or upset with somebody, um, they may have done something that offended you. Just like it says here, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. The problem is we don't do the going. We don't do the go and tell. So we sit and we hold on to things. That's not good for anybody. Uh, if you can work through that without having offense, that's great. If you still think somebody is doing some pushing against you, if you feel like they've offended you, then you need to go to them, especially if you're going to hang on to it. So you have two choices when you've been offended by somebody or you feel an offense, whether it's a dirty look, a dirty word, uh, saying something bad, somebody gossiped about you. So if, if, if you're holding that against them, you need to find out, first of all, is it true? Did it actually happen? Did they actually say something? Did they actually have things against you? Did they? If they did not, then, you know, you're the one with the issue. So here we go. If your brother sins against you, brother or sister, this is anthropos, so it, it is a, uh, a both, a brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between you and him. So, or her. So... Uh, the problem is we go tell everybody else. We go talk to everybody else except the person that we feel has caused the offense. And yes, it might sort itself out. And yes, if you want to give it time, that's fine. 
But if it's going to make you continue to feel bad towards that person, angry towards that person, or if you're going to start the gossip chain and add sin to sin, then you're wrong. So our emotions carry us in these directions. And this was the conversation I had the other night. Emotions are part of how God created us. I teach this often to people. They help us to identify circumstances, situations, and people. So uh, sometimes we meet somebody, just doesn't feel right. We have an emotional response to them. Maybe they are odd or insulting or angry or, but we feel, we feel unsettled when we're around them. Okay. We've identified that there's some issue with this person. We don't even know what it might be at this point. We've just met them. So how do we, what do we do? What's our response? Maybe somebody gives us a dirty look or says something that makes us feel bad. We, we get an emotional response to that. Like who the heck does they think they are? Or, or why are they looking at me like that? What do they have against me? Now we get in our own head and the emotions start to churn up the response. Let me go talk about them to somebody else. Let me go, let me uh, push back on them. Let me, let me uh, give them a dirty look. And, and so uh, is that the right response? No, here's the right response. If your brother or sister sins against you, go to them, go to them, tell them what happened. This would, would, handle so many problems between people, not only in the church, but outside the church as well. This would handle so many problems. And let me tell you, when I've enacted this, the times I've done this, most of the time when I said, man, you said that, and it seemed like you were angry with me. It seemed like you were pushing back on it. No, 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 that wasn't it at all. Nine times out of 10, they weren't, that wasn't their intent. So we get to work through it. It's great. And that's exactly what it says. If they listen to you, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now you have some respect, some mutual respect, and they understand things better and you understand things better. So uh, you, you, you've actually deepened the relationship. So this creates an opportunity for a deeper relationship. So uh, now it goes, if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two brothers with you, Lay out the scenario, because then if there's two, uh, two, two, one or two other people there, now they get to hear both sides, and they get to have an objective opinion about what the truth is. Maybe you actually got it wrong. Maybe, maybe your side is not fully true. Maybe it's uh, bent in emotion. And so you get that third person there and say, well, it sounds like you just were overly sensitive, or it sounds like, you know if you said that, then, you know, that's really harmful. Okay. Now, now the person might, okay. All right. I, I get it. I, and then, then you can repair, restore the relationship. Now, if that doesn't work, it says, if he refuses to listen, uh, uh, if he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And this is, this is more, uh, within church discipline. And that is often tough. We talked about that yesterday when we looked at Israel when they get the uncleanness out of the church. So if there's this continuous issue of somebody causing problems and issues and struggles and not being repentant, not changing their behavior, now you go to them and the church now says, you know, we can't have this, okay? We can't have this kind of stuff. When it says treat them as Gentiles and tax collectors, what does that mean? Uh, it, it's, it's euphemistic, uh, symbolic, 
or representative of treat them like they're not even a believer. Because if they're not responding well to this, there's a good chance that even though they've been part of the church in uh, physically, they're not part of the church spiritually. And so you, we need to treat them like they're unbelievers. And we don't kick unbelievers out. We just treat them differently. We bring the gospel to them. We want to bring them to the Lord. And so this changes the whole interaction between this person. And so we need to look at them like they're not a believer. We can't expect them to act like believers. And we need to start treating them a little bit differently. So uh, then at the end, it says, uh, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. And that's a great promise that many of us hold to. i uh, got my wake up to the word coffee mug with my black rifle loyalty roast coffee. So um, uh, a parable of the unforgiving servant. And so uh, how many times do we forgive? Seven times? No, 77 times. And basically it's saying, keep forgiving. If people keep coming to you seeking forgiveness, forgive them. Now, that does not mean we continue to set ourselves up for failure, okay? We, we, we forgive with boundaries, okay? If someone continues to do the same thing, maybe it costs us money, costs us property, costs us... We can forgive them, but it doesn't mean we'll make the same mistake again. It doesn't mean we'd make the same investment again as far as, you know, financially. Uh, and we may even protect our hearts emotionally in this case, but we still forgive. We still forgive and, uh, and, and, and do the things that are right. Um, then it goes on to tell the parable of the, the master who, who uh, had people who owed him. Somebody owed 10,000 talents. And that's equivalent to 20 years wages, 20 years wages. Boy, how do you ring up a bill like that? Uh, it's usually a mortgage, but, um, and, uh, <clears throat> and, um, and, and the master forgave his debt. He's, he pleaded with him. He begged him, forgive his debt. And, um, and the master forgave him and, uh, he went on his way. Then he went to someone who owned him, owed him a hundred denarii. Um, and that's basically one day's wage. And he told this guy to, to pay up. And he said, uh, he, he guy said, give me some time and I, and I'll pay you. And he said, no, I, I'm not going to give you time. And he, and he threw him into prison. And then the other servants went back and told the master and the master says, you wicked servant. This is all the way down in verse 32. Uh, then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do, will, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. So that's interesting. Now, this brings up the theological conundrum that uh, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and uh, you don't forgive somebody uh, debt or, or, or uh, sin, or does that mean uh, you're a believer and you, you're going to go, you're going to get punished for that? Um, you get thrown into jail. Two, two potential possibilities. 
um, <clears throat> here. Uh, if, if you're a believer and this is part of what you do or have done, uh, one possibility is uh, your rewards are few or taken, removed. Um, uh, your heavenly rewards, crowns, whatever that, whatever that, uh, whatever your your process is there, but biblically, it's usually crowns that we have to offer Christ. So you you lose reward. Um, the other possibility, the other option is that Christ has forgiven debt. He's paid the penalty for sin on the cross, and you have not actually received Christ as Savior. You do not have a a transformed heart, so you are incapable of the forgiveness, the the agape love, the the trans the, the the forgiving transformation that should take place, the grace that we should have in our heart for others. We're not we don't have the capacity for it because we haven't truly received the forgiveness from Jesus Christ. He's he's paid the penalty for the sin. He's wiped out the debt, but we have not received the payment. We have not uh, taken Christ as Savior and owned the, the, the payment that's given. So we're not actually saved. We're, we're not a believer. And then the punishment comes. Um, those are your two possibilities. You can weigh those out as you want. It's a parable. So uh, I believe there are multiple options in the parable. Um, certainly one distinct uh, truth in there that we should be forgiving people um, as Christ forgave us. And so that's the that's the the message, but as you look at it, it does have some some uh, theological ramifications to it. So very cool stuff. Teaching about oh no, sorry, that's the next one. We got to switch over to Mark. How are we doing on time? How are we doing on time? Let me check over here. Get my uh, mouse over here. We doing on time. We're doing good. All right. Coming up on the uh, nineteen minute mark. <clears throat> Uh, of chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus sends out a 72. Now here's that number. It could be 70, could be 72. Uh, uh, we, we get that from the old Testament. Very, very, uh, same number of nations in Genesis 10. And then we also were in numbers and that 70, that number of elders. Then we get the nations in uh, Deuteronomy and uh, so this number, 70 or 72, depending on how you do the counting, uh, this number, these council numbers, but he, Jesus sends them out. So why this number? So after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. A very important phrase within this text he said to them the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few most of you know about this particular portion of scripture we we hear about this um this often it's said in context and out of context but it says uh the laborers of uh laborers uh go and send the laborers into the harvest um Therefore, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the, his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I will send you out as lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no money bags or knapsacks or sandals and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be with you. And if the son of peace is there, 
If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So it says, uh, remain in that house, eat whatever they give you. And then it says, whenever you go into a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick, and in it, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, we listened to Pastor Brian's message last Sunday. This word kingdom is a double entendre word, another one of those double entendre words. We see them all the time in scripture. So if you're looking with Hebrew eyes, you'll pick up on that as Jesus talked about these things. The authority of God has come near. So it's, the word is kingdom or it is authority. So the authority of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. But when you enter the town, and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town will cling to your feet, will wipe wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom or the authority of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So he's sending them out <clears throat> and they are bringing the authority of God. They're preaching the gospel and they are telling them the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is going to be coming. That This is basically a gigantic advertising campaign to let them know that Christ is coming to their town. Because look, what did it say? All the way back to verse 1. Go to the, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Why was he about to go there? Because these are the towns where <clears throat> these rebelling Elohim, these rebelling spirits have set up shop and they are working against God. So Jesus is going back to retake the nation, okay? The rebelling spirits that have overtaken the nations. Jesus is going back to retake these places. It's a, it's a land grab. It's a, um, it's a geographic, cosmic, spiritual warfare. So uh, it goes on to the woe to the unrepentant cities. And then we get to verse 17 of chapter 10 in Luke. <clears throat> 72, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority. There's the word. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, symbolic for uh, the demonic and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in this, this spiritual warfare, because you really had nothing to do with it. He says, the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what you rejoice about, that you're part of the kingdom of God. That's what you rejoice about. So here, we let's get to this portion. Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So people look at this and say, this is when Satan is cast out of heaven. Satan has, can go back and forth. Maybe he, maybe he's out of there for good at this point. I, you know, theologically, you could say that, but the word fall translated fall, it, it does mean fall, but it's, <clears throat> it's 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 pipto and it, it's a descend and it's more often about status or station uh but it's a descend it's not a push it's not a shove it's not an uh, um it's not a uh um unwilling thing it is something that is done by a determined move so when i saw satan fall like lightning it's really i saw satan descend like lightning. I saw him come down quickly. 
because his authority was being challenged by people, by by the people of God. These 72 went out. He's losing ground here. So he descended like lightning, not because he fell, but because he was going in support of his minions. So uh, that is, uh, he reacted, he responded to it. So he saw the power of God at work in people and through people. And it wasn't just a prophet and it wasn't just a king. This was 72 people. This was a matching number against the rebelling Elohim of Deuteronomy 32. So the number of the nations, this was a matching number. So he obviously saw Christ has come now. God is responding to his rebellion. God is taking back what originally was his. That's cool stuff, man. That is awesome. So we got we got to give some we got to yeah, we got to give some applause for that. We didn't get a whoopee. Oh, there you go. So, um, parable of the Samaritan. Uh, we've seen we've seen that um, uh, coming down uh, coming down on the clock here. We're we're uh, we're getting close. Um, so, parable of the good Samaritan. Uh, I'm trying to see. There's something in between here. Uh, rejo- uh, Jesus rejoiced in the Father's will. <clears throat> he rejoices in the Holy Spirit. Um, thanks the Father in heaven. And uh, then turning to the disciples, he says privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Because they get to see Christ. They got to see the Messiah. They get to walk with the Messiah. They get to... To, to, to be part of this plan. <clears throat> then the parable of the Good Samaritan comes up. Uh, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom? Uh, inherit eternal life. Jesus could have said right here. Here you go. Jesus could have said, uh, Well, say the sinner's prayer and then you will be saved. But he didn't say that, did he? He said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is a complete surrender to the Lord. A complete surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords complete surrender in your life. This is what it's talking about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's salvation. Giving over, a complete surrender, a complete change of life. But he desired to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And uh, Jesus said, Won't you be my neighbor? No, he didn't say that. That would be Mr. Rogers. That is not funny. 
Sorry about that. Uh, Jesus replied, um, and, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Man was going from Jer- uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers, stripped him, beat him, departed from him, and uh, uh, a priest walked by and went on the other uh, and, and saw him and passed on the other side of the road. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and passed by on the other side of the road, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And went to him, bound his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and set him on the ground, uh, his own animal, and brought him to the end in, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Two days' wages. He gave him to the uh, to the to the to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you you spend, I will repay you when I come back." So Jesus asked, which of the three do you think proved to be the neighbor, be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Here's some of the things in this parable, little nuances that you wouldn't have known. Uh, The man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, he's he's Jewish. They're assuming he's Jewish. They're looking at it. He came from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. This is a Jewish man. Falls among robbers. Uh, he gets stripped and beaten and he departs, he's half dead and the priest walks by. Now the priest comes by, he's bloody, he can't touch him. So uh, under the law, the priest feels like he's doing what he should do. And then the Levite came by, the Levites were part of the Levitical priesthood. They were the ones that kept the tabernacle and the temple and all of that, kept everything going. So he passed by him on the other side too. Why? The same blood issues. This guy's bleeding. They're not supposed to touch that stuff. So they're thinking they're doing the right thing under the law. That's why they did that. But the Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile, and they don't even like Jews. They don't even get along with Jews. But this guy had compassion on him and brought him. Here's the other thing, a little nuance. This one's free. The inn brought him to the inn, brought, gave him to the innkeeper to take care of him. This is the only place an inn and an innkeeper is mentioned in Scripture. Uh, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, there's no inn, there's no innkeeper. Uh, it says there's there was no room for him, and it does. The word translated inn is really upper room. There's no room for him in the upper room. There's no inn in that story. There's no innkeeper in that story. They kind of transferred the inn and innkeeper from this parable to the Jesus story. That's a freebie. We'll give you that one, okay? So <clears throat> then Mary and Martha, we'll end it with this, with this. Uh, um, I think, a humorous note, although it, it, it does have some real uh, good um, teaching in it. Um, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her, to her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teacher. These are... Uh, sisters of Lazarus, we find out later. But Martha was distracted with much with much serving. And she, she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. <clears throat> but the Lord said to her, I'm going to add, I'm going to add a word here. Martha, Martha, Martha. Uh, he only says it. It's only written twice. Martha, Martha. I like the third one. Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chose the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You know, time with God's important. Don't get worried about all the other stuff going on.
Don't don't get overwhelmed with life. Sit, take time to sit at the master's feet and let him pour love on you. That is Wake Up to the Word. We hope you have joined us. Did you see our nice stuff in the back? We had no Jeff's stack of stuff today. We had some yesterday, though. So hope you looked at the manna and what it looks like. We will see you next week. Thank you very much, studio audience. That does not exist. I will continue to throw these levers, and uh, we will see you next week. Hey, come on out Sunday. Life Coast Church, 1030. Kansas High School Auditorium. Love to have you join us if you live in the Palm Coast area of Flagler County. Bye-bye. I'll be back. Yes, Arnold. They know that.